Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. So here we go. Why uh, can't you hear a pterodactyl in the bathroom? Because it has a silent P. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. I'm Rico Galliano, and from APM American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the culture show that helps you win your week's dinner parties. You just got a joke from Rich Summer that'll help break the ice. He played Harry Crane on Mad Men, which of course aired its final episode last weekend. Sadly. And folks, coming up on the rest of today's show, we've got something really special for you. A live edition of the DPD we taped a couple weeks back in front of a thousand or so people in beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota. Yes, you're going to hear hilarious, terrible etiquette advice from comedian Michael Ian Black, a reading from acclaimed author Marlon James, performances from musicians Angel Olsen and Lizzo. But as is our custom, we started the party with small talk. We invited Minnesota Public Radio host Carrie Miller on stage to ask her this question. Carrie, yes. what story are you going to be talking about at parties this week? The great rhino migration from South Africa. No, what? So? Yes. Tell Never us heard more. of it? Tell us more. Okay. So where? to Texas, to the backyards of ranchers, this is all true, to the backyards of ranchers in South Texas. They're not, I'm assuming they're not like building boats and just sort of floating on over. What, <laughs> What's they're going to airlift them in, seriously. So because there are only 25,000 white rhinos left in mm. South Africa, people are worried about how to preserve them. And these are two legitimate environmental wildlife groups who have come up with this idea to move a thousand white rhinos from South Africa to South Texas. And they will be adopted by individual families. Now that's the part. Yeah. Yeah. Are they aware that they grow? I know. Yeah, they grow well, all like, right. Like what if, if they mate with an armadillo, we're screwed. <laughs> Really? This is frightening. A riot, and also, the state that works so hard to keep certain humans out. Yeah. Importing yeah. like, rhinos? Right. I don't know. Exactly. Rhinos welcome, apparently. Also, I mean, like, if you're a rhino, do you really want to go to the state that has, like, more hunters than probably right, yeah. exactly. anywhere in America? Do you guys know that rhinos live up to 50 years? Wow. So if so you're taking this on It's like having on your a family ranch, member. That's yeah. a commitment. I'll walk the rhino, I promise, Mom. Right. <laughs> How many times have we heard that? Yeah. All right. Well, Carrie Miller, thanks so much Thank for giving you. us a small talk. Ladies and gentlemen, Carrie Miller. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Minnesota Public Radio's Carrie Miller joining us live on stage at the Fitzgerald Theater. More from that show in a few minutes, but first, time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's our low tannin history lesson with booze. Mm. Yes. First, the appropriately Minnesotan history. Right around this time, back in 1966, some guys in the Twin Cities dreamt up a board game that had people falling all over each other. Literally. Michelle Phillippe is on vacation. Tracy Samuelson tells the tale. The history of the game Twister is, well, kind of twisty. On the one hand, you have Neil Rabins and Charlie Foley. Back in the 60s, they worked together at a design agency in St. Paul, Minnesota, where they were hired to dream up games. At some point, they tossed colored pieces of paper on the floor and realized a mat of colors could be the game board, with the players themselves as pieces. Rabins and Foley's names appear on the Twister patent, but they never got royalties for the game. 
those went to Reynolds Geyer, their boss, who says he got the original idea for Twister while working on a promotional display for shoe polish featuring multicolored polka dots. Whosever idea it was, everyone involved predicted the unique game would be a big hit. So they were shocked when stores like Sears wouldn't feature it in their catalogs. In an era when dancing was the only acceptable way to touch in public, retailers were wary of selling, quote, sex in a box. So sales were slow until May 3rd of 66. That night, millions watched as host Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show played a round of Twister with his sexy guest, Ava Gabor. America was amused and, yes, probably titillated. By the end of the year, three million Twister games had sold. Foley went on to design a liquid adhesive remover called Undo. Geyers went on to help develop a little item called the Nerf Ball. And America, of course, did not suddenly become one big Twister-fueled orgy. In the 90s, Foley said, quote, Once you get men and women into play positions, you forget the sex thing. The urge to win takes over. So that was the history lesson. Now for a drink to go along with it. I am joined by Nick Kosovich. He is the proprietor of Bitter Cube, which is a maker of handcrafted bitters, also cocktail consultants, legends in the cocktail scene here in the Twin Cities. Nick, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So we are here because Twister was invented here. You've heard the history. What cocktail are you going to make for me today? Well, we call this the King's Footsie. So King's Footsie, the original name for Twister, also kind of a classier name. I agree. I, I don't know how they changed that, unfortunately. Yeah. So yeah, tell me how to make this drink. So we'll start with two ounces of Gamliod Celebration Aquavit. Okay. We utilize that in this cocktail due to the you know Scandinavian nature of uh, the Twin Cities. Uh, this Aquavit is made here uh, right outside of the Twin Cities in New Richmond, Wisconsin. Very similar to gin, high botanical concentrate, just not so juniper dominant. All right, so that's the base. Then what happens next? Uh, we're going to add three-quarter ounce fresh-squeezed lemon juice and then three-quarter ounce of ginger syrup. We're going to add some bitters to this as well, kind of the backbone of the cocktail. So these are Bitter Cube Cherry Bark Vanilla Bitters, two droppers of that, uh, just to kind of add some depth of flavor. All right. It's fizzing. All right, so at this point, we have a, a beautiful cocktail. It's kind of, what, what color would you call this? Like yellowish, white, parchment-y. And then the real uh, fun twist to this cocktail is that we're going to take uh, different colored oils and put them on top of the cocktail. So we have four different oils. We're going to start with the blue. Uh, this is a pea flower extract, which is very bright, vibrant blue. So we're going to put one circle of pea flower oil. It's beautiful. Uh, then we have a hibiscus and Aleppo pepper for the red. The yellow is saffron, and then the green is basil. I see what's happening here. You're making a Twister board. Exactly. And there we go. Now can I take a sip? Yes, please. That's fantastic. This is a beautiful drink. It looks like people are going to have to go to our website to see a picture because it, it looks like modern art. And now it no longer looks like the Twister board, right? It's turning into a whole different thing. It becomes a Jackson Pollock painting. Nick Kosovich, proprietor of Bitter Cube, and seriously, people, head to our website, dinnerpartydownload.org, and check out the photos of this drink. Yeah. It's a sight to behold. It is a polka-dotted cocktail. <laughs> it is. Which, yeah. if I made it at home, I think would come out more kind of paisley. 
You know what I'm saying? I think actually a Paisley Twister board would be kind of next level. (laughs) You're amazing. (laughs) You could call it hipster. Oh, man. All right. Rhinos, Twister, cocktails. All this party needs now is music. Does it? Because that's actually a lot of stuff. I, well, That's a party. Music would be nice in addition. All right. So here with the tune is singer-songwriter Angel Olsen. She began her career as a backup singer for Bonnie Prince Billy, but has since released two albums of her own. Her latest, Burn Your Fire for No Witness, was named Best New Music by Pitchfork. Yeah. She absolutely mesmerized the audience at our live show two weeks back. Here's one of the songs from that performance. It's called Lights Out. If you don't feel good about it, then turn around If you really mean baby, then stand your ground No one's gonna take it for you, darling Darn, it's true. 
performing Lights Out off of her acclaimed album Burn Your Fire for No Witness. We've got two more live songs from Angel on our website, including a cover of Richie Haven's I'm a Stranger Here. It's pretty special. Beautiful. Uh, You can find that at dinnerpartydownload.org. And we're going to take a quick break. Coming up, a reading from author Marlon James and Michael Ian Black provides us with etiquette advice along with some other stuff. I brought you quinoa and pastrami. When the Dinner Party Download continues. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Download, the arts and leisure section of public radio. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. Today we're featuring highlights from our recent live show at the historic Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota. Coming up, you'll hear a story from and an interview with the Minneapolis-based author Marlon James. His novel, A Brief History of Seven Killings, was one of the New York Times' top books of last year. But first, let's hear from our guest of honor. And that would be comedian Michael Ian Black. Many first saw him back in the 90s on the sketch comedy show The State, which ran for two seasons on MTV to the delight of smart and possibly tipsy Gen Xers nationwide. Mm -hmm. He later co-created the hilarious and deeply insane Comedy Central series Stella. At our live show, Brendan told our audience about a few of Michael's other projects. He also appeared in the cult comedy Wet Hot American Summer, in which he made out with a young Bradley Cooper. What have you done with your life? The prequel to that comes out later this year on Netflix. And he's got a new podcast called How to Be Amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, the amazing Michael Ian Black. Hello. Um, Let's talk about your podcast, shall we? All right. Um, On second thought, forget it. No, let's talk about your podcast. (laughs) So the premise is that you interview famous people about well, how Well, they... no, not, I mean, you're already wrong. Okay. Oh. Okay. I mean, I hate to be the rude guest at the dinner party, but... No. God, you're stupid. <laughs> um, no, yes. fame is not a prerequisite for being on the audio program. All right. The prerequisite is just that you have to be amazing in some mm. capacity, and fame... Uh, as we have learned through reality television, (laughs) bears no relationship to amazingness. Whatsoever. Whatsoever. Fair enough. But let's say you sort of find out how people took their path to be amazing, correct? That's right. So first of all, is there somebody that stands out as having the most kind of unusual path to amazinghood? Well, yeah, so far the most unusual path is a guy we interviewed named Carl Tanner, who's an operatic tenor, one of the most sought-after operatic tenors in the world. Not famous at all. Well, not famous. I had never heard of him, but I'm not <laughs> as big an opera fan as I might be. Okay. <laughs> he started his career as a bounty hunter <laughs> and ended up as an operatic tenor, as one does. <laughs> when you're being chased, you're shrieking, or what was he, that? He always had a great voice, but was afraid to pursue a life in opera, Mm. um, took a job as a bounty hunter, eventually got tired of being chased and and shot at, 
and decided to follow his dream. Did it, actually, have you found amongst all of the people in, that you've had on the show that there's anything that they have in common that sort of leads them on that path to amazingness? I think that if there's one thing people tend to have in common, it's a willingness to confront the terror of the unknown. Most of the people, if not all the people on, on, I've interviewed so far, um, entered their fields with a lot of passion, but not necessarily a lot of conviction that they'd be able to make a living at it. Mm. You know, Nate Silver, who's probably the most famous statistician in the country at the moment, uh, he created... That's pretty amazing. Yeah, I know. He created the 538 blog, which yeah. is a, a very well-known political prognosticating and sports prognosticating site. Cool. Yeah. He, he knew early on that he wanted to do something with statistics, but what do you do with that? He turned a love of like rotisserie baseball into a highly paid profession. Yeah. And now he's at his own ESPN website. And he's amazing. So what about you? So you I, I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> That's but why I'm here tonight. Was, when, <laughs> but when did it first occur to you to finally take the path of being a comedian? You know, oddly enough, I, I was a professional comedian for probably oh, I don't know, 10 or 12 years before I was even willing to think of myself in those terms. Mm. I never planned on being a comedian, never, it was never a dream of mine. I just sort of fell into it. What was, the, was there a moment where you're like, I'm going to definitely pursue this and it's what I'm going to become? Well, there was a moment where I transitioned from kind of denying that that's what I was into just accepting it. It's the way a lot of people deal with alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first step is just accepting you have a problem. My problem was comedy. But what was it? What was that moment? It's... I don't know that there was an actual moment. I think it was just, you know, I had always sort of planned on being an actor, like a, like a, a, a serious actor. I, I went to school for it, always envisioned myself doing that. And then probably about the 50th or 60th time, I found myself in full drag running down the street somewhere with cameras trailing me. I thought to myself, you know, you might not be a serious actor. <laughs> might be that you took a, a, yeah. a turn somewhere yeah. towards well, the comedy. Well, this wasn't your most serious performance, but let's talk about Wet Hot American Summer. Okay. Yes. Which came out, came out in 2001. It was a parody of late 70s, early 80s, like summer camp comedies. And it became a cult hit. It did. And now they're, they're, Netflix is releasing a series of prequels around this, right? Yes, it's an eight-episode prequel. The same cast is in it, but we're now 15 years older, <laughs> playing ourselves about yeah. three months younger. Doesn't that, so tell me, tell me that you didn't use any makeup effects or anything. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, God, <laughs> yes. no. And Perfect. in fact, um, the guy who co-wrote it and produced it and is one of my dearest friends, Michael Showalter, sure in the time since uh, the first Wet Hot American Summer, has gained maybe 80 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we have a clip from the first Wet Hot American Summer. You took such delight in saying that. Oh, nothing makes me happier than his gut. <laughs> uh, we should talk about co-hosts and co-working. Um, all right, so we have a clip from the first Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, let's take a look. You guys, I'm really going to miss this place. Me too. Hey, let's all promise that in 10 years from today, We'll meet again, and we'll see what kind of people we've blossomed into. Yeah! What time you want to meet? You mean 10 years from now? Yeah. Let's meet in the morning so we can make a day of it. Okay, so what is it? Is it like 9 or 9.30? Well, let's say 9. That way we can be here by 9.30. Well, no, why don't we say 9.30 and then make it your beeswax to be here at 9.30? I mean, we're all going to be in our late 20s by then. I just don't see any reason why we can't be places on time. Okay, then. Settled. 9.30 it is. All agreed? Great, great, yeah. Great. Great. 
Great, because I have something at 11. I'm just going to contract with you full of appointments, right? No, I just I have something at 11 that I can't change it because I already moved it twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're doing this prequel. What it, it does bring up the question, you know, even since the state or even since that in 2001, how has comedy changed? The internet feels like it's changed comedy. It has, and I would say it's sort of gone in two different tracks kind of simultaneously, both of which were always there but weren't as prominent as they are now. When we made that movie, I think the most popular kind of comedy was sort of like the Adam Sandler-esque, sort of big, dumb, I don't mean that pejoratively, but really <laughs> dumb and stupid comedy. <laughs> and I think since then, you know, you have your kind of Judd Apatow slash girl slash transparent, sort of very rooted, real-life, almost dramedy comedy. Louis, uh, the TV yeah. show, is a little bit of that. And then on the other end, you've got really kind of absurd, surreal stuff that is sort of more cable and internet, but you see some of it on the big screen, like Anchorman, I think, is a good example of that. And the kind of middle-of-the-road Adam Sandler stuff has kind of fallen off a little bit, which, believe me, Adam's going to come back bigger and better than ever. <laughs> He's a dear friend. I've never met him. But it is, I mean, like, when The State came out, there weren't that many, like, people just wouldn't be even aware of that many sketch comedy troops. Now, it's, yeah, no. you know, if you've got a sketch comedy troupe, you can have a podcast tomorrow. You know? Yeah, you don't necessarily need a sketch comedy troupe to have a podcast tomorrow. Yes, that's true. I mean, look at you guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Coming back later for etiquette. <laughs> Michael Ian Black, ladies and gentlemen. Before we let you go, we want to ask you our two standard questions. Oh, yes. yes. And, and the first question is, what question are you tired of being asked in interviews? Uh, well, I, I get this a lot, not necessarily in interviews, but often when I'm on the street. Hey, were you and kids in the hall? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Which is a sketch comedy troupe from the 90s yeah. that I am recognized for being in far more than the sketch troupe I was actually in. <laughs> so I get a lot of that. All right. So our second question is sort of the flip of that. Tell us something we don't know. And this can be about anything. Yourself or a piece of trivia. Well, there's a new process called CRISPR, C-R-I-S-P-R, which is a method of uh, copying and pasting strands of misbehaving DNA. So you can actually insert a protein into a body of a living organism, snip out the part of DNA that you don't want, replace it with a, with a piece of DNA that you do want, and thus change your genetic code. Your own Jesus. genetic you code? You could like, do that to yourself, like get rid of cancer? Eventually, or? yes, yes. Wow. They're doing it on mice and, and smaller organisms right now. In China, they're testing it on people. Bioethicists are saying, hold on a second, guys. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Maybe we should think for a moment. You might want to think about this yeah. for a second. In China, yeah. they're like, full steam in! Michael Ian Black, live on stage with us in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find his new podcast, How to Be Amazing, at audible.com. And come July, the prequel to Wet Hot American Summer will appear on Netflix, Aged, Middle-Aged, Bellies and All. We can't wait. Delightful. Later in the show, you'll hear Michael give our live audience etiquette advice to their eternal regret. Yes. But now we're <laughs> going to hear from critically acclaimed author Marlon James. That's right. He teaches writing at McAllister College in St. Paul. And he's the author of two celebrated novels. The latest, A Brief History of Seven Killings, was a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award, and the rights to it were just picked up by HBO. But when he joined us on stage at the Fitzgerald Theater, he decided to share a nonfiction story from his own life growing up in Jamaica. It's a powerful remembrance, but it does include homophobic slurs and sexual themes. We felt the context justifies it, but sensitive listeners may want to rejoin us in about seven minutes. Here's Marlon James. 
So I have this working theory that if you were a teenager in the 80s, no matter where you were in the world, you had the exact same 80s. So I'm assuming that you also tried on your mother's dresses and listened to Sheena Easton. I take that as a yes. Fish a shape out of that sequin cocktail dress, then strike a pose on Vogue. Ten minutes to showtime. You look in the mirror and your wig is singing, baby, 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 where did our love go? <laughs> Tease it, slick it, beehive it bigger, because you're going to walk like Diana Ross. The blood orange dress you wear is from a drab suitcase where your mother hid her past life. The heels from one of the boy's mothers, no, you didn't ask how, when, why, whatever. The wig from Ralph's mom back when she was swinging in London. And you wonder, if you shimmy hard enough, will it sound like the strings into Sir with Love? Nine minutes. Mix Kool-Aid with Vaseline and you've got homemade lipstick. A match and shoe polish, eyeliner. A cream your mother no longer uses, the color of white women in the sun too long, foundation. Schoolboys have been hissing the word faggot in your wake for so long that you mistake familiarity for its own kind of affection. You enter a classroom like every day is an episode of Cheers, and you're Norm. But instead of your name, the chorus says, Batty boy! And one guy, just for variety, says, Homo! <laughs> Tenth grade, seven months into being the most unpopular boy in school, you are always kind of disliked. But something about boys, with adolescents crashing and burning in a school of only boys, makes things worse. A school without girls means nobody's there to protect you. Eight minutes. There's nothing in putting on makeup that should lead to any sort of nostalgia. But at 14, 11 is already somebody else's memory. You're behind a curtain that is functioning as a backstage. All the boys around you are putting on costumes, but only yours is a bait and switch. It's a play for the school arts festival, a murder mystery. You're the only junior we spoke to. You get to solve the mystery. You're the hero of the play. Look, we need the points. It doesn't even have to be good. Oh, and you have to wear a dress. You look at these boys, all seniors and competitive, even in a drama festival, and the Depeche Mode lyrics jumps out at you. God has a sicker sense of humor than even you could have guessed. He's been messing with you for laughs for years now, but whose joke is this? There's a line in Crime and Punishment, a book you read for fun, about Raskolnikov moving without thought, and that's all you remember, because no thinking could go into this. The boy called Fag is about to put on a dress. Seven minutes. But how does a boy called Fag wear a dress? Go for the beauty you've always seen in sequins and heels? Nah. Second thought, go for dumpiness and slapstick. The granny in Jamaican plays always was a man anyway. No. Wait for the bigger part of you that always wanted to wear a dress in front of people anyway. Don't act like it's not true. No. Go for actual beauty? But what is that? Beauty is skin deep, but pangsol, bleach, antiseptic, and toilet bowl cleaner in the bathwater couldn't make your skin any lighter, despite soaking for hours. Five minutes. You know what? Go for what boys like. 
Those five words hit you like they came from the mountaintop. The boy that boys hate will become a girl that boys like and throw a wrench into that adolescent horn dog machine. <laughs> Tame the beehive till it looks like Princess Di. Wrap a belt around your waist like a corset. You don't need to breathe. Grab two tennis balls from that actor beside you and make your breasts pop. This house is burning down and you're taking every single son of a bitch with it. <laughs> Three minutes. Remember your lines, remember your direction. You're the ditch secretary who solved the mystery and foils the killer. Nah, hell with lines, you don't need lines. You just need to remember to hum strut with each step. Sing it, then stomp it. Strut, pout, put it out, that's what you want from woman. Come on baby, what you taking me for? <laughs> the seniors look at you. Powder, eyeliner, you look too good. Breasts and black stockings to hide hairy legs. Lips rouge red. You like this too much. Out in the audience are loud boys who have always called you sissy. You're taking that girl pose to hell and dragging them with it. If they think you're a faggot now, watch when they run out of gawk. Watch how they run out of shock. Watch how the very thing they said you'd become, you become in excelsis deo. Watch them watch you and shake up that thing that makes a normal boy horny. Drag them to where sex is a gray area so deep, it's darker than black. The announcer announces your play. The seniors head on stage, delivering flat lines. They only want to get through this, but you? You've been waiting for this all your life. You didn't know it until the very moment that there are a million ways to say go to hell, and only one needs words. Slip on those high heels, clip on those earrings, ball your two hands in a fist and put your chin on liftoff. You're on. Thank you. Marlon James, ladies and gentlemen. You like it? Little Sheena Easton for oh you. But, but you're in Minneapolis. It should have been Sugar Walls. Oh, well, we should have consulted you <laughs> beforehand. We should have consulted Prince. <laughs> so what happened after that? There's a cliffhanger. You went out in drag and... And, you know, as I said, all the boys who hated me respected me because it was a, such a badass thing to do. It was like, they always thought this was what I was. And then I came on and I was like, what? What? <laughs> you owned it. Yeah. yeah, and I had really big breasts. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was going to say, did they hit, anyone hit on you after that? No, but they were really amazed I could walk in high heels that well. Had you practiced? I am not going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> You're in a safe space here, Marlon. Yeah, That's I right. know. Author Marlon James reading for us and speaking with us live at the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota earlier this month. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but coming up, we'll hear more of that interview, including Marlon's thoughts on some decidedly unsunny Jamaican characters. And Michael Ian Black provides etiquette advice. Don't eat any fresh fruit. Just the guy for the job. Yeah. When the dinner party download continues.
Welcome back to the Dinner Party Download, the show that gives you an edge in your weekend conversations. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And I'm Rico Galliano. Today we're sharing highlights from the live show we taped this month at the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota. Coming up, hip-hop powerhouse Lizzo debuts a new song, and comedian Michael Ian Black answers our audience's etiquette questions. But first, let's return to our interview with Twin Cities-based writer Marlon James. Many considered his novel A Brief History of Seven Killings one of the best of 2014, so we talked with him about it. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a fictionalized account of the attempted murder of Bob Marley in the 1970s, told from a, a million points of view. I understand that it was a novella to start with. It's yeah. like 600 pages long. Yeah, the, 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 the real page one of that novel is now page 458. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? It just kind of exploded on me. I kept trying to write these novellas and kept failing until I realized it was just one whole big book with a whole bunch of characters. But I really, this was the shortest novel I tried to write. <laughs> and characters just sort of showed up and wouldn't leave. And I'm like, what the hell, it's a party. That's <laughs> right. It's, it's, we we, it's we believe in that spirit. And HBO, if I understand, <laughs> just picked it up to do a TV series. HBO just picked it up to do a TV series. You're a Fingers literature crossed. professor at McAllister. <laughs> so congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, is it, what is it like being this kind of literary fellow now in meetings with people in Los Angeles? And um, You know, I think they're just so relieved to come across somebody who reads. <laughs> and like, That's somebody who writes a book and, and um, not somebody who has 15 screenplays that are all in development. Mm. That means they'll never get done. <laughs> um, and, uh, well, I was shocked as well. You know, they knew the story. They, they wanted it to be actually even more Jamaican than I wanted it to be. Mm. And yes, yeah, so hopefully it will happen. Well, yeah, we us as well. We actually, you, you mentioned Jamaica. Last question, we're running a little short on time. I wish we had more with you. Mm -hmm. But you are, you are a self-proclaimed geek. You mm -hmm. have said that you are somebody who knows the, you, you can like name the exact issue number Magneto appears in X-Men. What, is there something kind of in Jamaican culture that people geek out on that we don't know about? that has never kind of gotten out of Jamaica? I don't know. I think, my, my, what I think is, is geeks are almost the same everywhere in the world. And I think what might surprise you is that they're Jamaican gots. Got, G-O-T-H. Goths. Goths. They're Jamaican oh, like, like goths. Robert, like the Cure, Robert Smith, yeah, Joy Division. Yeah, and they wear corpse paint, and they wear long black, which is kind of hard in 96 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you start out the day as a goth, you end it as a skunk. Wow. You're just kind of... I think, I think we have your next HBO series. Yeah. <laughs> and your next album. Yeah. Marlon James, everyone. Check out his book. Thank you. Brief History and Seven Killings. Thank you so much. Author Marlon James and Rico, I am working really hard right now to resist making Jamaican goth puns. <laughs> you can do it. Be strong. Yeah, I will not say jaw division. You, you failed. <laughs> All right, and speaking of self-control, it's time for our etiquette segment. Perfect. At our live show, we welcome comedian Michael Ian Black back to the stage to give our audience advice. By the way, you're also going to hear a cameo appearance from indie songstress Angel Olsen in here, too. She played us a song earlier in the show. Anyway, while folks lined up to pose Michael questions, we asked him the question he asks folks on his own podcast. What's the best and worst piece of advice you ever got? Be best advice was maybe the first piece of professional advice I ever got, which is 10 minutes early is on time. I've tried to adhere to yeah. that advice. Yeah. And you, you were, were you were early. Today. I was early, yes. I was here at dawn. I noted that. <laughs> well, we was, couldn't afford the hotel room. We're sorry about that. Yeah, it was so. kind of weird. Yeah. 
That's why we haven't shaved. We've been camping all week. Um, you know what? We're going to have to hold off on your worst advice for next time because we, we have our folks here. So, so let's start with you, sir. Yes. Uh, what's your name? Which... Hey, my, my name's Sean. So, Michael, since you're a certified snackologist, uh, maybe you could provide some insight into the world of car snacks. What are your own personal etiquette rules for snacking in the car on a road trip? Uh, nothing too messy, uh, nothing too audibly distracting, nothing too odiferous, uh, something everyone wants to share, or individual snacks? Uh, you know, the list goes on and on, so help us. Thanks. Well. For those who don't know, you had a podcast called Mike and Tom Eat Snacks. Yes, with your you are Tom indeed Cavanaugh. a snackologist. I am yes. a certified, board-certified snackologist. Not to be confused with the mixologist. No, that's a dumb term. Yeah, that's a dumb term. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, car snacks. It depends. First of all, if it's your car, you want to avoid chocolate. If it's not your car, chocolate's fine. So assuming it's not your car and you're on a long trip. Essentially, anything that you could find at a gas station convenience store is fair game. So, any sort of chip, any sort of pickle, uh, any sort of week or two week old donut or confectionery. They don't crumble as much. That's, no, yeah, so really a, a, a quart of motor oil, anything is fine. <laughs> If you can find it in a gas station convenience store. What about beef snacks? What about fruit snacks? Beef, beef snacks. Oh, beef snacks are, are yes, yeah, by far. You, you, you eat all the beef snacks you want. Don't eat any fresh fruit. <laughs> all right. Fresh, anything healthy is off the table for a car ride. There's okay. your Does question. that answer your question? Cheers. Yeah. I guess right. so. He's going well away he goes. Well done. Minneapolis Sean. That's a good question. Gentlemen. I feel like you helped out a lot of people with that one. All right. So next. Right, now, good evening. Before we continue, is that a ponytail you're sporting? Yes. Uh, something like that, yes. So you know you're already broken all etiquette. <laughs> I, I can live with that. I'm, fine. So I'm not here to be nice. I'm here to give advice. <laughs> Sometimes to, it hurts. You're here to tell the truth. You've got to be cruel to be kind. So the question I have, yeah. uh, should we applaud when performers first come to the stage? Uh, since they have not done anything yet. I thought applause was meant to be an appreciation for a performance well done. Ah. Right. Uh, it's a great question. It depends on circumstance. Now, if you're going to see a play, for example, for me, I always find it distracting when a, an actor of some renown comes on yeah. in character to make his or her entrance and the audience applauds. To me, that's a no-no. However, there is an exception. If it's an older actor or actress, somebody who's been around a long time, uh, then you might want to give them the applause because they might not make it to the end of the play. <laughs> or even intermission. Get it in while you yeah, can. Get it in now. Yeah. You need to celebrate Show, show your appreciation yeah. to Cloris Leachman because yeah. she's not going to be here that much longer. <laughs> yeah. But don't do it too loudly or you may induce yeah. a heart attack. Yeah, they'll just like, oh my God. You don't want to startle her. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. So I hope that helps. On the other hand, if it's, a, if it's a, like a comedy performance or a band or something like that where the person isn't in character, then by all means. Like, for example, when I came out and everybody gave me a standing ovation, I thought, <laughs> I thought that was just great. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yes, right, it does. Good question. Thank you. That was a good question. I think that's more than puts it to you. Hi. Hi. I'm Genevieve. Hi, Genevieve. Hi. I'm Michael. Okay, my question is... We need um, okay. <laughs> What happened in Minnesota? Nice, jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your question, Genevieve? Okay, my question is, um, if you borrow a friend's car and it has a near empty tank of gas, when you return it, should you fill it up, fill it half full, 
um, because it sort of seems kind of like a passive-aggressive way to get your gas tank full. <laughs> that is an evil thing to ascribe to someone who loans you a car. So you've borrowed, you've borrowed the car, yeah. and you're unhappy with the amount of gas that's in the car. <laughs> You've exactly. said, can I borrow your car? Yeah. They've said, sure, Genevieve, we love you. You get in the car, you see it's on like a quarter tank, and you go, those mother... <laughs> I think that's what happened. Knowing you the way I do, Genevieve, this is what I think you do. I think you fill the car with gas, then you get maybe three or four of those five-gallon uh, gas containers that you, you can buy. Fill those with gas. <laughs> put those in the back seat. Drive the car, when you return it, drive it through their living room window. Uh-huh. And just say, here! Yep. See? That's the polite, That's the thing, polite to thing to do. That's the polite thing to do. That would be the polite thing to do. Oh, yeah. okay. There you go. It's the manners. Yeah. Eileen Black teaching you some manners. All right. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Good luck, sir. No oh, one has God. left. <laughs> no one has left the line. I'm pretty impressed. I think responding we're, to we're all too scared to move out. Of this <laughs> yeah. Line. Uh, my name is Zach. I'm Hi, Zach. In, from Minneapolis. Hi. Um, how does one? That's in, how you do it, Genevieve. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do it. We're quick learners here. <laughs> How does one invite Angel Olsen to join us at the entry to see Young Fathers perform tonight? Oh, so wait, where, where, who, wait, Young Fathers? Is the band. That's, I, I, okay, yeah. thanks. Yeah. <laughs> That's a band, and where are they performing? At the 7th Street entry. It's in Minneapolis. It's, uh... Angel! <laughs> you guys can come if you want, but. Here, I understand. Uh, is, is the idea that Angel is your date? I don't yeah. know if I can do that. <laughs> I would say Angel, uh, Zach. From Minneapolis. <laughs> Great kid. You know him? I know him well. He knows how to say hi. He knows how to say hi like a champ. <laughs> There's the band here Tell that I can't get enough of. Okay. They're called the Young Fathers. Yeah, I just and, heard about them. Yeah. Everybody's talking about them. <laughs> They're playing at... The Entry. Which is yeah. a great place. Tonight. <laughs> cool. And Zach wants to know if you'll, you. if you'll go. Maybe. I have a car. Yeah, we have a car. You have a car. Yeah. With how, how full is the gas tank? Very. <laughs> <laughs> Super full. Okay. Right. Super full gas tank. She'll be there, Zach. Yeah. She'll Good. Be there. I'll, I'll think about it. Minutes. I'll Thank think you. about it. Okay. You'll think about it. Thank you. Thank you. Think about it. Thanks, Angel. That's well done. I'm pretty smooth. Yeah. And that was a polite way to say no effing way. <laughs> All right. Hi, I'm Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Hi. I'm having my first baby and Congratulations. I have... Congratulations. <laughs> yes. soon, soon there will be another young father. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, my friend is throwing me a baby shower and I have no idea how to behave at such an event. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for a list of do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts at a baby shower. So it's your friend and, she, and she's graciously offered to throw you the baby shower. She's so here. do say, Thank you so much for throwing me a baby shower. Right. <laughs> Don't have the baby at the baby shower. Oh. Yeah, Listen that would to be him. rude. Yeah. Those are pretty. Stick clear. to those two things. Yeah. I think you'll yeah. be fine. All right. Thank so, you. That's fantastic. Bye. So I, I'm looking at the time. I think we should do a speed round here because we want to get to all of okay. you. Okay. All right. We'll be quick. 
So we've got Amy and Andrew here from St. Paul, and we just recently moved to the area, and we were looking to find out, even though you don't necessarily want a real friendship with your new neighbors, how can you express that you're willing to get the mail or something like that when they're out of town, but also don't want them stopping by to chat neighborhood politics if you're enjoying a <laughs> bottle of wine on the front porch? That's a good I question. got this. All right. Okay, all right. go. Thank goodness. So you just moved. What you want to do is you want to take the initiative. Make a dish and bring it over, but make it a terrible dish. Oh, good idea. There you go. Yep. I, I brought you quinoa and pastrami. <laughs> Michael Ian Black telling wow. our audience how to behave at the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul, Minnesota. It was an extraordinary evening. Yes, weird and extraordinary. And that almost concludes this week's Dinner Party Download, folks. Uh, it wouldn't have been possible without the folks at the Fitzgerald Theater, including director Jeff Kamen and his amazing staff. And, of course, the Dinner Party Download team, led by producer Jackson Musker. Nina Patok is our associate producer. And Christina Lopez is our associate digital producer. Thanks to Daniel Ramirez for engineering. Peter Clowney is our executive producer. Tune in to Dinner Party Download next week when our guests include the great Alison Bechtel, whose graphic novel became the Tony-nominated musical Fun Home. But now it's time for One for the Road, a song to enjoy on your way to or returning from this week's dinner parties. Lizzo is a hip-hop artist based in Minneapolis. Her song Batches and Cookies was one of the party tracks of 2014. Oh, yes. And she just wrapped up a tour with Slater Kinney. Here she is, closing out our live show with a brand new song. This is the only place you can hear it. It's called My Skin. Bon Appetit. Y'all had a good time? What's deeper than the darkest best? Kept secret beneath the surface we get. Let it bring us together. A Ricardaris apart. Deal with it, gotta love with no conditions. Though it's hard to re-envision time and time again. Even when, even when it didn't matter anymore. The most beautiful thing that you've ever seen is even bigger than what we think it means. Reflections in our bloodstreams, it's even bigger than I woke up in this. I woke up like this. Big girl meets world, a crazy position. Now your dreams is your mission, huh? Staring in the mirror, realizing wishing work. Now all I wish is for a chance to get my can support. I got a family tree that's worth praising the Lord. Mama looking like the second coming, look at God. A sister like a soldier, hold it down. Southwest gon' hold it down. Uh, I love you, don't forget it. Your beautiful black masterpiece. Boy, they don't make brothers like yo. Make it happen with that black girl magic The hat trick off of what we must do I woke up in this I woke up like this In my skin, yeah. I can't wash it away So you can't take it from me Left a message to the city 
the words stuck between my teeth so gritty Paying for each minute I'm seething A black girl mixed with a little bit of socket your weed, yeah I pocket some penis, I swallow my pride and my ego I wear my flaws on my sleeve and my skin like a peacock I see someone like me ashamed to be Honestly, I'm really, really fed up Trying to send it up like a FedEx I'm wondering what they saying next Can't pretend to not hear it It's your beauty, they can't have it It's yours, they can't have it It's yours Your Your performing her song My Skin at the Fitzgerald Theater in St. Paul. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Newnham. Thanks for listening to this live edition of the Dinner Party Download from American Public Media.